and welcome to another episode of Flamenco Attitude. This is the podcast that brings you all things flamenco, not only music, but everything from the culture to how people dress to how they live, really, uh, and all the customs. So we're going to go through these things uh, in all the episodes that we have in store for you. But today's one is a very special one because we talk about a person who popularized flamenco in to the genre that we know today. That is, of course, the world's famous Paco de Lucia. So Marcos is with me to tell me all that he knows about Paco, and we're going to explore the music and also his life. I mean, you put it well, because Paco is more than a flamenco guitarist. He is a world guitarist. So yeah. he, he, he did far more for flamenco than anybody could do. But Above everything, he is just one of the world's greatest ever guitar players. So he's more than flamenco. I was going to say that because um, I'm searching for the right word. I think in Spanish you would call it something like etiquetas. What et, et, what label, how would you categorize Paco if we have to talk about well, him? Well, we have to say maestro de maestro. Mm. Mm. Um, nobody's ever been able to achieve what he's done. An absolute incredible player. Now, I'll I, I tell you, because when, when he started out, um, he was born in a very poor district in Cadiz province. Yeah. Uh, and he, he didn't have uh, much money at all. All his brothers uh, played flamenco. And, of course, he comes to fame. This is the incredible thing. When he wins a competition... And he's wearing his short trousers. So he's, mm. he's still in short trousers when he wins a competition. You couldn't make it up, could no, you? No, no, no. And w what, what time are we talking about? Uh, in the 60s. Yeah. And he'd be about 12. And, the, and just the, at 12 years of age? Yeah. Did he taught himself how to play? Um, well, I think he, he was helped uh, as well by his, by his brother, Ramon. Um, he was made to practice every day by his father, a very strict way of life. And, yeah, I mean, he did it all, all himself. And the incredible thing is that he, he emerges as a child prodigy. So he starts recording uh, for Phillips, you know, when he's only 12, with his brother, Ramon. Mm. Uh, I mean, you couldn't... This, this sort of thing was... Well, I... Okay, we say it's impossible. Obviously, his idol, Sabika, had done something similar at an even earlier age. But this was a new era. Yeah. And Paco became, right from the start, people were saying, who is this chap? He can play like, he can play such fast runs, you know, yeah. these picado <clears throat> runs. He can do everything. And then, of course, what happens is he's playing the music of Nino Ricardo, which was the current person at the top of the tree. But Ricardo says to him, you've got to develop your own style. Now, when you listen to the music of Ricardo, it's very, very complex, and it's not particularly melodic. So what does Paco do? He brings in melody. That is a good point, because when you introduce me to flamenco, I have to admit, the pieces that I listened to mostly, the, the pieces that I enjoyed at first were Paco's pieces because they had a certain rhythm to them and they were melodic. Yeah. 
that you have given me some pieces that are not quite so from other performers, but Pacos yeah. were more like the music that we're used to today. You know, it has certain rhythm, then it repeats a little bit, and it has certain rhythm again and repeats yeah. a little bit. Uh, and it's incredible to me that you told me that Paco is actually not a gypsy. Yeah, and what what was quite amusing is uh, when he sadly died, um, yeah. people wrote in newspapers one of the greatest ever gypsy guitarists, and and you think mm, he wanted to be a gypsy, which is why he developed this incredible relationship with Camarón, because we're talking about big fish today. And they, no, don't, they, yeah. they don't come bigger than this. So th this this special that we have today, yeah. our very first special is probably the biggest yeah. of the modern, well, the you know, the modern day flamenco. Well, um, so before we move on to the flamenco falsettas that you're going to tell me about, because I know next to nothing about this. Well, meaning. we don't want to make it complicated. No, no, no. no they're no, they're no, just no. licks, aren't they? They're it, just licks. Exactly, but because I'm somebody who doesn't play at all. Yeah. Maybe people out there who are listening to us and who play, yeah. they will know what, we, you know what you will talk about. But I want to know more about his childhood then, because obviously you told me very poor, but came out as a musical prodigy. Yeah. How did he then develop... Further, how did he emerge from? Well, he had. You know, his he was under a, a lot of discipline from his father yeah. to practice all mm -hmm. the time. Yeah. And you know, one of my greatest memories of him is a photograph that was published when he was on tour, when he had he was having his breakfast in bed. He's a world famous artist, and his whole thing that he enjoyed was to have a piece of bread and some olive oil. So you see this picture of him with the olive oil and yeah. the bread because when he was young, he never had this. Yeah. And that was what was more important to him than money or fame, just a bit of bread and olive oil. Well, in future episodes, when we talk about our adventures in Andalusia, I'm going yeah. to absolutely vouch that the Spanish olive oil, is, yeah. especially the ones that we had in Andalusia, it's, uh, it's, it's next to none. The, the quality is just incredible. So probably that's what it was very expensive for them to afford. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, olive oil is is relatively liquid cheap, gold, cheap, liquid gold for them. Yeah, Paco valued that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I've only uh, I've only met him twice in my life, and I met him um, at the Wigmore Hall in London. He came to do a debut concert. Incredible, you know. Uh, Strangely enough, I mean, I, I'd played on this children's programme called Magpie and all the rest of it, and, and he went and did this. But, and uh, I met him, and he's such a modest man, and got him to sign an LP in the green room, and he was very, very... But what was incredible about this concert was, if you think about it, the Wigmore Hall is not a very big place, but it was filled with all the great guitarists of England. Mm. They'd all Who come, was there so it then? wasn't a normal yeah. audience. Who was there that well, we may I recognize, mean, or our audience may recognize? Well, I mean, you know, I don't want to put, put a load in there, but I mean, everybody, the, the simplest thing to say is that everybody mm. who was anything in but the guitar was there because they'd heard of this person and they thought, I can't believe the speed he can play at. Let, let's but just why see would, it. Yeah, but, but because Paco plays a specific type of guitar, doesn't he? Yeah. Does he play the Sonata? Well, he, 
No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He, he never used a peghead guitar. No, he always with tuning. Well, yeah. but that's that's my question. Then why do people who play different types of guitar yeah. and different types of music be so interested, particularly in him? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting you ask about his yeah. guitar because he he's used the same he used the same guitar. Uh, I mean, maybe when he was younger, there's some pictures of him with a peghead guitar. But he he loved this particular Estesso guitar from Madrid. And that's the one he used throughout his life, um, famously. As any maestro would, you yeah. know, they use the same yeah. instrument. Yeah, all the same, and mm. you know, uh, and that's what he wanted. Uh, another thing I could say to you is that he got involved with world musicians, John McLaughlin, mm. Aldi Miolo, and I went to see him play in the Albert Hall. And the people that came, they'd never heard of Paco de Lucia. They'd come to see the other people. But left, probably, thinking well, more about Paco than anyone else. And Paco was always very clever. He he just did a little bit of strumming, listened to what they were doing, <laughs> and then, after about 20 minutes, <laughs> off he goes. And, and the people in the audience say, what is this? It's just, yeah, because he always just, let's see what what sort of tones they're working in, and his little brain was going round and round, and then woof, woof, well, off he went. Uh, and, and people were probably massively impressed, especially they, yeah, at that time. Incredibly impressed, because they'd never seen somebody able to play a guitar like that. So he, he, he formed this trio, uh, and they toured the world. Before this, he'd worked with um, jazz musicians, he'd worked with Santana, Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana. Yeah. He, he, you know, he's also an incredible player. Yeah, yeah. He'd worked with very many famous people. I mean, he worked with the, with the with the, with the people of opera and the tenors and all of this kind of stuff. And you've got to realize that he was not so much a flamenco artist, but a world class musician. So you, if you think about it, all the records he made with Camarón, this was things that he did, but he didn't perform with him normally in in the concerts in in the pueblos in the villages because he was too busy he just made these incredible volume of music with Camarón which yeah. is with the blueprint for anybody who wants to sing today or learn it's never going to be surpassed you're bringing mm -hmm. together two people where you're going to find two like that You'll have to tell me because <laughs> we're probably going to explore this later on. But okay, so with the falsettas, with the flamenco falsettas. Yeah, melodic. Melodic, yeah. But we didn't have that. I mean, if you listen to the, the guitarists that existed before that, they don't play in that way. So he brought in this melodic way of playing, yes. which then gave rise to all the players that we have today. Vicente Amigo, Girardo Nuni, all of these players have taken inspiration from Paco to play the way they do. Yeah, because I think the most, the, the probably the most valuable thing that he brought, apart from the talent that he had anyway, was structure. Yeah. His pieces are incredibly structured. Yeah, whereas when I learned guitar as it's, a little, it's as not a little as boy, much, yeah. I was trying to learn all this Nino Ricardo stuff mm. and struggling to remember it because it was quite hard to, because it was so different to this. It didn't have this melodic structure. Mm. And... So it was much harder to learn because you couldn't really remember it. Whereas once Paco came along, you, you can hear how yeah. the melody is going. Okay, it's difficult to play, but you, you can get it in your mind how it's going to go. Yeah. Well, talk to me then about the uh, 
emblematic piece, which is Entre Dos Aguas, or Between Two Waters. Yeah. Uh, first of all, why I'm interested in the name. Well, because he's bringing together the music of, of uh, America with, with the flamenco. Yeah, so it's a bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's doing a rumba. Yeah, uh, as you uh, told me, his famous rumba that changed everything. Yeah, now before this, the rumba was very much um, a gypsy thing from Barcelona, very popular style. But when he brought out this with that little bass that starts and then these very gentle chords and then... Baku comes in with his picado, with you know, it was amazing. I mean, I, I can remember going to a shop in Valencia, just to you had to, you know, you didn't really have record shops like that. And you go to a shop, electrical warehouse, to get this record, and it was in the window. And I think they only had one of them, you know. And yeah, you say, "Oh, can yeah. I buy this, please?" You know, okay. And I just thought this is the most incredible record that's ever been made and it, it changed flamenco completely i mean you know you can go anywhere in the world and you'll see buskers that are Doing. playing entre dos aguas because it's as you said yourself emblematic it, it's uh, there's something about it how he got to to, to devise Composer. it I, I don't know but it changed everything it turned him into a world star do you remember back in the day what were the reactions, what were the uh, critical acclaim and all that of, you know... Well, there's always been criticism of this sort of thing, say, oh, it's yeah. not really flamenco and all of this. And then you think, well, you can't get more <laughs> flamenco than Paco, then, you know, it's just ridiculous. And, yeah. you know, flamenco artists have always played things that are not necessarily in the canon of the flamenco, like the Soleá, the Sigurria, they can play a rumba. Why not? Mm. Because the public like it. And he did this, and it just changed everything. I've even got the uh, the single copy of, of this record. It's priceless. I mean, you know, I would never, never, ever sell that. No, you wouldn't even show it to me. I wouldn't even show <laughs> <Yeah>. it to <laughs> you. <laughs> because it was, yeah. um, you know, and even t today we think, well, people have tried to do variations on it, but you're never going to get... I don't the think effect of no, that. no, no, no. Uh, if you go on YouTube and you put Entre dos Aguas Paco, um, I, I, pr I probably uh, the, what they have uploaded is the picture is what you have as you know the single, but it has millions. The views are millions. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't have that many on his the rest of his pieces, because you you, you gave me three Entre dos Aguas I had listened to previously, but I re-listened again. The other pieces don't have as much listenership and as views as Entre Dos Aguas. Yeah, well, they're harder, and yeah. let's talk about them. So let's talk about Amoraima. Amoraima. Yeah, yeah. Now, Amoraima is, a, I, I know it more as a, a, a railway station, <laughs> yeah? And, but obviously you can Why tell... Why not? <laughs> I mean... Amoraima is on the, on the route down to Gibraltar. But he brought this out... He was moving so quickly because you've got the N3 Dos Aguas yes. record. Yeah. Now, there's far more on that record than just rumba. It's got all kinds. Yeah. You, yeah. So me, as a young person, I'm thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to catch up with this? Yeah. So you're putting it on the vinyl over and over again, trying to work it all out. Then, just when you think you're getting on top of it, he brings out this album, a concept album. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and then you're seeing, you're hearing the Arabic loop, everything, and you're just thinking, I just don't know what on earth is going on here. Woof, what is this? Yeah? It was amazing, because I tell you, an interesting thing about Parkland was that he, he didn't really make that many records. He kept many years in between before yeah. releasing something. To be fair, a lot of artists that obviously compose their own music do that. Yeah, they do take a lot. And I'm sure he yeah. was under pressure to, like yeah. many artists, yeah. to bring one out every year, but he didn't. And Almaraima, you you just thought, oh crikey, what the hell is going on here? So you got the church bells going into the rondenia, you got the actual track Almaraima. Yeah. It, it's, and you're thinking, this is Bulleria, but not as we know. <laughs> We've never heard it like this before. Yeah. I don't know where he got the idea from or how he did it, but yeah. Well, it just happens, because obviously he is somebody who is in, who was ingrained into the music, and I think once you are, because we're going to talk about in a second about Sabikas. Oh. Uh, I think he, because he lived through the music, he he was so ingrained. He practiced it every day. These things start building into you. Yeah. And then this, you know, this concept album comes out. Yeah. Well, nobody had ever done that before. You know, because we were used to this in England with, well, you know, with our bands like your King Crimson and all of this. But in flamenco, it was just like tracks. Yeah, but don't forget. They didn't yeah. link together. Yeah, but I think because you just told me that he was, his family, his father asked him to, insisted that he practices all the time. Yeah. I don't think the rest of the artists were probably as disciplined as he was. So you need to, you know, you need certain amount of yeah. practice and you need certain amount of discipline to be able to bring this out. Yeah, and I think you're right, yeah. because what happened to Paco in the end was he didn't practice, he just played. Exactly. Because he'd done so much practice. He practices every time <laughs> he plays. <laughs> he just plays. It's probably know. fair to say that, you know, young artists will probably want the worst of his practices to be their best records, you know, so. Yeah. Now you want to talk about Teo Sabah, Tio, Yes, so am I translating this right? It's like Uncle Sabi, Uncle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why does he call him Uncle? Well, because he felt uh, along with Nino Ricardo, um, Sabika was his idol. You know, because we're, mm. we're talking about a framework that starts yeah. with Ramon Montoya, who creates the, the original flamenco guitars solo. Yeah. Mm. Then it comes down to on one on the left hand side Nino Ricardo, on the right hand side Savicas. Yeah. yeah. One is playing these um, very difficult things that aren't melodic and the other one is playing far more melodic. And then and eventually uh, he must have been so influenced by Savicas and when he when he died, I mean you can't I mean you've listened to it, the depth of, of, of that Minera is, you know, can you tell me what keys he was playing uh, on the I, oh, Honestly, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to tell you anything because I'm not a musician, no. but we're going to, um, hopefully we'll be able to include a little bit of the music after the chat. Yeah. So anyone out there who is a musician or who understands music, hopefully will be able to follow. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very complicated piece and very sad. Yeah. So he gave me three. And yeah. that one yeah, was... It's so sad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and he goes into this, what we call tremolo, where, where, where you're using your, your, your fingers to create mm. these notes on things. And the tremolo on that is unbelievable because you, you think, 
so he's in this key then he drops down and oh and he's just saying thank you uncle Savikas. yeah so that was mm. it's probably one of the greatest pieces he's created yeah. um, I mean the way it starts you listen to it, yeah. it <laughs> who could do that no you have to be but I mean I, I, I think it's because he was his idol that's why he was able to pay in tribute because mm -hmm. if, if any other artist you know you say oh would you like to mimic that yeah. it wouldn't be the same now shall we be critical because You're the, always critical. Well, <laughs> For those who don't know you, Marcus is that, highly critical. <laughs> there's some things that uh, people say, well, uh, he brought in the cajon. Well, explain to me what the Well, that's is. a box that you saw in, in, in Mexico where for playing percussion. So he started to re replace the palmas with people sitting on this box. Yeah. And some people find this not correct now you know they don't like it uh, he also but he did it well on all his records he brought in the flute that's another difficult issue mm -hmm. and he brought in the saxophone and people felt well these are not instruments associated with flamenco uh, and this is given way to the, the problem is Paco always did these things very well but many of the people that have imitated this is not doing it quite as well. Once again, Paco dedicated a huge amount of time perfecting his yeah. music. Yeah. Well, I feel a lot of people just try... Because it was popular at the time, he made it popular. You know, we're going to put different instruments, we're going to experiment, we're going to, you know... People decided to just go with it without taking into consideration how much he put into it. I think he had a vision. I think he had a vision for how it would sound before he recorded. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I do. Yeah. And I think what we've got to reflect as well is the body of work that he did with Camarón. No, we will, yes. You're, you're well, never I, going yeah. to get that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about um, his career, because we talk about his career, yeah. but in relation to other artists. Now... Were there artists that at the time didn't look up to him that much? Oh no, everybody's always looked up to him. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no Very doubt. Respected. No, no doubt about that. Yeah. And probably everyone wanted to work with him. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, he's he stands out yeah. incredibly. You know, I mean, one of the problems we've got we've got in flamenco is that we're not going to get these maestros again. We're not going to get a Camarón. We're not going to we get a Paco de Lucia. We can hope. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't hope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Marcos is dead said that it will happen again. It, no, we've got to realise that these things happened in the 70s. And they were very special. And they won't be repeated. But was it because of the time that the 70s was? Because 70s... When I look back on it now, yeah. when I look at art as well, like film and photography and all that, um, it was in a way a very dark and gritty age. But yet the, the best of the best emerged from it. Yeah I, yeah, I mean, it's hard to work out how, but where are you going to get a Cameroon from? Maybe the next, the next Cameroon is currently no, listening to no, you. No, 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 that's not happening. <laughs> no, no. There's never going to be another Cameroon. 
and there's never going to be another Paco de Lucia. Yeah. It, 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 I'm sorry to tell you this, but <laughs> we could live to be 400 years of age and it ain't going to happen because these people, uh, they come over the centuries just at one point in time and that's it. Yes, there's many brilliant artists, but none of them would ever accept that they're at the level yeah. of Paco or Cameron. How did he met Cameron? How did he meet Cameron then? Oh, um, well, he, he started uh, going out when he was very young to, to look at all kinds of artists. He came to Moron, uh, where you know I'm based. He, he came to look at everything. And then his father, I think, introduced him to, to Cameron. And they just hit off, just like that. Mm. It know, just clicked. Just clicked. You know? When it clicks. And so they started bringing out uh, uh, records um, a bit in the late uh, 60s. Mm. And then, poof. I remember as a, as, a, as a young boy getting one of these records and thinking, Phew, I don't even know what's going on here. What are they doing? It was a bit like Paco's solo records. Mm. It was incredible. Revolutionary music. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, 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 I mean, it's as fresh today as it was then. Mm. Anybody that wants to be in flamenco as a singer... Goes through this. Yeah, yeah uh, has got to get these records. And listen uh, Off them. the top of my head, I can't remember how many they made, at least eight or something together. Um, and they are absolutely incredible. And yet, you have told me later on that he wasn't his guitar... He wasn't Cameron's guitarist in the sense of, like, Tomatito was. No, because, you see... This is <laughs> this is the interesting thing. Yeah, I was interested. He's in that, on the records. Yeah. But when it came to to uh, booking Cameron to appear in a pueblo, he had lots of guitarists. Uh, obviously, his main guitarist became Tomate, yeah. as you're saying, and he became the person that always accompanied him. But he had many many guitarists. Uh, originally, actually, uh, even Paco's brother Ramon. What was with, with uh, Cameron? Yeah. yeah, so you know he had lots of different people that played with him, but of course the the records. This is where we get into the blueprint of flamenco. Yeah, the studio albums. The studio albums, because when I listened to them, everything that they recorded together. It sounds radically different. Yeah. First of all, you have other instruments, yeah. and then you have certain arrangements that you won't hear on other flamenco records. And they are the, the, the records that are the most listened to when you go on any platform. These are the ones that are yeah. most popular. It just, I think there was something that appeals to the public. Yeah. yeah. And we're not going to see it again. Stop it with this. No, I, I, I mean, you know, there's, there's yeah. wonderful artists. Yeah. But I think they would all admit that this was a golden era. It was a bit like the, the era or flamenco in the 30s yeah. that came back in the came 70s. Back in the 70s. And well, it's, it's about time, I think. <laughs> the 30s, right? 40 years is the 70s. It's about time for it to come back. Yeah, what but, do you think? Well, you're still looking <laughs> to find another Paco and Camarón. I don't think you're going to find them. Uh, I want to also... Um, well, before we move on, I wanted to ask you about how they parted ways with Camarón. Well, I mean, they didn't really part ways in, in a sense. In this, yeah, how did it just not continue to collaborate then? Well, I, I mean, the uh, La Leyenda del Tiempo. The album. 
Paco's not on that record. Yeah. But he comes back later to appear with, with Tomati with, with subsequent albums. Um, they, they remained in touch and also the most important thing is the very last album of Camarón, uh, Potro de Rabia y Miel, Paco worked flat out putting it all together. And Camarón mm. used to contact him and say, how's it coming on? Yeah. Yeah? So that last record, Paco worked very, very hard to produce it. And it's, it's an incredible record. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, when we when we talk about, when we do our Camarón special, yeah. then, then, yeah. then that I, will be the next I, special. I, your homework will be some, <laughs> something. My homework. <laughs> I'll probably fail before I start it. But, um, yeah. So in terms of, um, so Flamenco for world audience, is it fair to say that it was Paco that made it? Yes. We, we talked about it a, a little bit yeah, in because, previous episodes. Yeah, but because yeah. if you think about it, the, the canti yeah. is very difficult to... To, to be accepted, exp- actually. Yeah, to export. Yeah, you can't, yeah. It's very difficult to export it. Uh, people find it difficult. Whereas the guitar played the way that Paco did, this could be a, a commodity for the world. Yeah. Um, that's why Paco... Yeah, Paco changed everything. He made flamenco really really big not only uh, is it fair to say not only spanish-speaking countries oh in every every country in germany yeah you know uh, throughout europe every country and in 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 japan i mean i've got (laughs) i've got a collection of very special records of buckle yeah and they're all in covers of of, for the japanese market yeah especially made only for japan yeah well, that's, that does say something because yeah. It, yeah, it's it's such a. I I think he literally penetrated the market everywhere with his music, everywhere. Uh, but surprisingly enough, you tell me that he didn't live in the birthplace of the Kante. So why did he not live yeah, in Andalusia? I, I think we'll end our conversation on this. It's a it's a difficult question, and something that he felt very sensitive about. He decided to live in Mexico, in mm. Cancun. Um, and I've seen interviews where people said, well, you know, you're the most emblematic person of Andalusia, mm. but you don't live in Andalusia. And he, and he was quite defensive about it. He said, look, I've got this plant here and this stone and everything. And it was a, a, something we, ne- we never really know why he decided to do that. But he felt more comfortable living in Mexico, not in Andalusia. And, of course, that's where he sadly uh, died. Um, and, you know, we, he never came back to Andalusia. We don't know why. Well, of course, he, I mean, there was a massive memorial concert for him and yeah. everything. So you would probably remember very well the day of the 25th of February 2014. Yes, because that night, um, or the night before I got calls, yeah. uh, you're not going to believe it, Paco has died, and I was very upset. Yeah. And then the next day, uh, BBC World Service asked me to come on a programme uh, to talk about his life. 
and they said to me, do you feel you're going to be able to do this? And I said, oh, yeah, you know. <clears throat> and then oh, they did a big story, world story, and then they suddenly started playing Entry dos Agua. Mm. Oh, and, and I got very emotional. Well, that concludes our first, very first special on flamenco attitude, and it was on the brilliant and world-renowned uh, guitarist Paco de Lucia. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're somebody like me who doesn't know too much about flamenco, I hope you learned something new. If you are an expert like Marcos is, I do hope that you uh, agreed to the many of the things that we talked about, and you probably knew a lot of the things that we talked about. And if you're currently studying the art, well use it as you know a platform for you to learn more until the next time whether you play listen to or learn about flamenco remember to always follow the beat <laughs>